Oh, wow. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, let me get this out of the way. My face uh, had a disagreement with Washington Street and Washington Street won. But uh, anyway, that's why the bandages, and it could have been a whole lot worse. We've been uh, going through a series trying to answer some questions submitted by you this past summer, and they've been good questions and pretty tough questions. And today's question is, what about angels, demons, and Satan? And I'm going to put up there the actual questions that were submitted, and this is by more than one person. Uh, would like to know more about angels. Where did the spark of rebellion come from with a fallen angel? What about angels, demons, and Satan? And how can they sin if they're in heaven? And how about demon possession? There's a lot there, uh, probably four or five sermons right there. But I want to begin with angels. And here's what some kids have said about angels. Age five, Gregory says, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. <laughs> Another says, my guardian angel helps me with math, but he's not too good for science. Angels don't eat, but they drink milk from holy cows. When an angel gets mad, he takes a deep breath and counts to ten. And when he lets out his breath, somewhere there's a tornado. I like that. And angels live in cloud houses made by God and his son, who's a very good carpenter. (laughs) And this one, some of the angels are in charge of helping heal sick animals and pets. And if they don't make the animals get better, they help the kid get over it. Wow. Here's my favorite, actually not from a kid, it's from a Sunday school teacher. True story, my brother was in ministry and he told me about this Sunday school teacher, told the kids where lightning comes from. Lightning is when the angels light their cigarettes. (laughs) Christian education in the church, nothing like it. So let's see what the Bible says about this. Revelation 4.11, John gets a glimpse into heaven and here's what he sees. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Apparently there's a lot of them. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. There's probably more than that. Psalms talks about thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. So there's a lot. In Job, it says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and the Satan, Satan also came with them. Now, it's interesting. This is one thing I learned in my study. How many times angels and Satan are found together? There is a relationship. When Jesus was in the t- tempted in the desert, it said, then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. We know that angels can destroy and do battle. In Revelation, it says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Angels are very powerful. I mean, we get this image of an angel on top of a Christmas tree. You know, wrong, wrong, wrong. They're very powerful. One angel in the Old Testament wiped out the whole Syrian army. Very powerful. They are warriors. They also worship. Psalm 103, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word. Angels will also have a major role in final judgment and the coming of Jesus. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvester are angels, Matthew 13. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. There also seems to be the concept of guardian angels. Matthew says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Luke 4 says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. Hebrews asks, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The word angel means messenger, and they often served as messengers from God to humans. Two angels went to warn Lot about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels appeared to Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Mary and, and several others. 
So they're numerous, they're powerful, they battle, they destroy, they are messengers, and they, are, they guard, but they are also limited. Matthew 22, angels do not marry, probably because they're spirit beings, not physical like us. Matthew 24, angels do not know when Jesus will return. Only the Father knows that. Not everyone in the Bible believed in angels. In Acts, says the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees believe all these things. So within Judaism, there is a, is a divide in whether we believe in these or not. And so belief in angels is not just because these were ancient, uneducated, not very smart people. These were very learned people. Some believed and some did not, just like today. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that we will judge angels? So we're made a little lower than the angels, according to the Bible, but we shall someday judge them. The law was given through angels. Some people in the New Testament worshipped angels, which is wrong. There's just a whole bunch about angels, and we could spend the whole time on that. Uh, I want to give you a picture of an angel right now. There's an angelic being. You'll see the other side when we get to demons. Okay. So let's talk about fallen angels. What are fallen angels? Matthew 25 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. First Peter says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. Apparently, Satan at one time was a heavenly being, one of the angels, one of the powerful angels, Revelation says the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So angels are created beings. And because they are created beings, they can sin. They can rebel against God, and some did. So there's this great battle going on in the, in, in the spiritual, unseen world, and it's a real battle behind the stuff we see day to day. I mean, people say, life is so hard. Well, duh. This is part of the reason life is hard. The word Satan in Hebrew is a common noun meaning obstruction, a blockage. Something gets in your way. We sometimes translate it adversary. Other names for Satan are destroyer, murderer, evil one, devouring lion, great red dragon, accuser, liar, deceiver. I mean, no wonder there's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of evil influences and powerful. So I want to focus a little more on one text about demons and that spiritual dimension of reality. Mark 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now listen to this man. He lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. I mean, listen to this description. For he often been chained hand and foot... But he tore the chains apart and broke the chain irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Pretty vivid picture. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. 
He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Wow. This is an example of demon possession, which was quite common in the Gospels. Does demon possession happen today? Is anyone in Mount Pulaski possessed? Don't look at anyone right now. I'm not sure I have witnessed demon possession, but there are times I have wondered. But from these texts that we've already read, and from this miracle, I think we need to remember two things. First of all, there are spiritual powers. Satan is a real being and very powerful, and the demons and spirits with him, evil spirits. They are active today. Some missionaries see it almost every day. We see evil in the world every day. And it's interesting that the evil spirits are prominent in the Gospels while Jesus is on earth, but they are much less uh, visible elsewhere in the Bible. They're much less active. They all of a sudden become very active when Jesus shows up. How come? Well, he's an adversary to God. They want to obstruct God's good purposes. So when God moves, Satan reacts. And he's reacting very strongly to this Jesus. Someone said once, in any spiritual awakening, the devil is the first to wake up. So, the more God acts in our church and in our lives, and the more alive we get to God's purposes, the more we can expect Satan to act as well. In dead churches, Satan doesn't, doesn't have to worry. There's no threat. In people who are spiritually dead and nominal, Satan doesn't need to attack them. He already has them. So, he'll leave the spiritually inactive, you know, just go your own way. But here's the good news. Even though he will come after us if we are living for God... This miracle is a clear sign that all of Satan's forces will be eliminated and they will be defeated. In fact, they've already been defeated. But it will not be without a fight. Notice how this demon comes out of the man. He comes out with a shriek and it shook the man violently. He does not go away easily. And I think we need this reminder of these powers. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus has come, but evil is still very present, very powerful. There are evil powers today. Yes, the victory's been won, but the battle is still going on. I mean, no wonder life is hard. No wonder we see so much ugly stuff in the world today. I think we've forgotten this. I don't think we fear evil like we should. I think we've just become lax. The Bible says to run, flee, resist, Jesus said, when you pray, ask God to deliver you from the evil one. But most people just play with fire. Eh, A little sin here, that doesn't hurt. A little look of lust. Uh, Get drunk once in a while. A little gossip. Uh, Yeah, I have a temper, but eh, no biggie. And we just open the doors for these powers. The Bible says Satan disguises himself. By the way, here's my joke today. Here's my joke. Why will you never see Satan in an Armani suit? The devil wears Prada. (laughs) Okay, no more of that. Here's a second reminder of this text. There is a power greater than evil. Notice the terror and the fear by this evil spirit, and they shake before Jesus. You have come to destroy us. That's right. That's exactly why Jesus came to destroy evil. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Mark 3 says Jesus has come to bind the strong man, to limit him. And if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit is in you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you abide in Jesus, you abide in God, God is in you, that power is so much greater than any evil power. 
2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war, again, notice that war, the way the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. What are the weapons of the world? Power, force, politics, money, war, deception, retaliation. Those are not our weapons. Ours are much deeper because we're in a much bigger battle than those. And they're invisible to most. So, specifically, what do we learn from this? Mark 5. First way, we learn demons are spirit beings. They're not physical. They have no bodies. Same as the angels. At one time, demons were angels of God who rebelled with Satan against God. And they were thrown out of heaven, as we read in Revelation 12. Demons can inhabit living bodies. Here they inhabit a man, and then they inhabit some pigs. I read an account of a man who came to a preacher, true story, and he asked the preacher, do you believe in demons? And the preacher said, yes, I do. And the man explained that several months ago, he had, they'd gone to a spiritualist church where they were encouraged to pray to receive spirit guides to help direct their lives. And the man said, I did not pray for any, but my wife did, and she has not been the same since. Sometimes it's as if there's a different person inside her. Her voice changes, her face contorts. She has an aversion to the things of God. Our marriage is falling apart. She won't go back to our church. And it all came to a head last night. While we were arguing, she walked into the hallway, turned slowly and said with a sneer, don't you know who we are? And her voice got higher in a a scream as she repeated, don't you know who we are? Don't you know who we are? And the man was shaking as he was telling the preacher. They're real. And they can inhabit physical beings. I believe these instances are fairly rare in our culture, but I also believe they're on the rise in our culture. When I see some of the streets going on, stuff going on in the streets of America, there's something demonic going on there. When I see the spewing hatred of the media and on Facebook, it looks like some, someone's being possessed. Blinded rage. They can inhabit living beings. They also have destructive power. This man in Mark is described, I mean, he's a living terror. He's naked, physically no one can subdue him. He breaks chains. He cuts himself with stones, living among tombs. When they enter the pigs, they go into mad suicidal rush to the sea. Demons injure and destroy those that they possess. So I'm going to show you the demon face now. All right. That's, that's what demons do to you. They'll beat you up, Okay. Okay, next thing, they fear Jesus. Here's the good thing. They are terrified of him. They say, do not torture us, Jesus. What are they afraid of? What's this torture? What's Jesus going to do to them? Well, according to Jewish literature, the demons know that eventually they will be tormented at the final judgment. They know their days are numbered. And these demons in our text apparently are afraid that with Jesus coming, the judgment is near. I mean, they're scared of him. The kingdom has arrived that the demons know their end is imminent. Over in Luke 8, they say, don't send us to the abyss. So the demons' eventual destiny is hell, and they know it. Matthew 25, 41 says, Hell is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. These demons know the kingdom has arrived. They know their torture is at hand. Their destiny is a place of fire and outer darkness, gnashing and grinding of teeth, weeping and wailing. The devil and his agents will be tormented forever and ever. Evil will be done away with and be destroyed. Hell was not prepared with people in mind. It was prepared for the devil and his angels and those who rebelled against his goodness. But although it's not intended for people, people will go there because they choose to. It's not what God intends. But if you don't want Jesus and his church in this life, 
He's not going to force you to spend eternity with Jesus and His church in the next life. Heaven and hell are basically people's choice. Heaven, God just gives you what you want. If you don't want God, you won't have Him for eternity. So where do demons reside now? That's a little tougher, but uh, there's some clues in Scripture. Apparently some are confined, at least uses that language. 1 Peter 3 talks about spirits in prison. 2 Peter says, But God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, or Tartarus is the word there, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. So some, it looks like, are confined to this place called Tartarus, a holding place for judgment. Perhaps the demons in our text, and this is just speculation, perhaps they are afraid Jesus is going to send them back to Tartarus. And that's why they beg to go into this herd of pigs. And perhaps they're thinking it'd be better to be drowned in a pig than to go back to that place. Tartarus is apparently an awful place where the demons go to await judgment. It's a preview of hell. There's some indication that it'll be the same for unbelievers. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man who had no regard for the poor, no regard for God, went to a place of torment and suffered unbearable thirst and pain, and that's probably Tartarus, many, many people believe. Do you believe this? Not, do you believe it up here? Do you really buy this? If we believe this, what should be our approach? Well, first of all, the Bible's very clear. Contact with the spirit world is forbidden. Both Testaments are clear about avoiding mediums and diviners and channelers and spirit guides. I, I throw in tarot cards. Uh, when I was in college, Ouija boards were popular, Dungeons and Dragons, horoscopes. Uh, those are all part of that, the other world, uh, the, the evil world. And there were some bizarre things happening on our campus because students dabbling in these things. Many video games, a lot of music, some movies have clear connections with the demonic. But Satan really has blinded most of our culture to his power and to his presence. But I would still ask, why are things so bad? People ask, why are things so bad? Why do kids die? Why, why, why so many tragedies? Well, duh. There is an evil power in this universe. There also seems to be a connection between cultural depravity and the rise of demonic activity. Second, be aware, but don't be obsessed. Our focus is on Jesus, not on Satan. God wants us to know something about demons and how and why they operate, but we don't sing about demons. We sing about Jesus. God also shields a lot of information from us. And I think as to keep us from getting obsessed, some people get so obsessed with this thing, with the demonic, it almost makes them vulnerable. In fact, I felt a little dark preparing this message. Put on the spiritual armor of God, truth, prayer, the Holy Spirit, the Word, the Gospel, those are our weapons. Fellowship with other believers, having a loving relationship with Jesus that is healthy. We're in a battle and we're in a war and we need the warrior Jesus and His angels on our side. Fourth, respect the dark power of sin. There is a connection between the sin and the demonic. Sin opens the door to these powers. And the more people indulge in sin, the more vulnerable they become to these kind of powers. Do you believe any of this? Supernatural beings, evil, good. Do you believe in a final judgment where evil will be dealt with? I sure hope so. I hope evil is dealt with eventually. I got to thinking, if I really believe this stuff, how would it change my life? How would it change my thinking? I want you to go home and write on a piece of paper, if I believe this, dot, 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 how would I live? If I really believe this, 
If I really believe demons and angels are real and there's this war going on that's going to impact the world we live in today and impacts eternity, if I believe there's evil powers actually right now trying to work in some of your minds and hearts, if I really believe that, what would I do different? Well, I'd make sure I was right with Christ Jesus. And I'm not just talking about baptism or church attendance. I would love him with all my heart and soul and mind and I'd give my life completely to him. I'd quit playing games with my Christianity. I'd get off the fence. I'd give my whole being over to him and stop the nominalism. If this stuff is true, I run to Jesus. I cling to him. I throw myself at his mercy and at his feet because only his power can overcome this power. If I believe this, I would develop the spiritual weapons that the Bible talks about because I know I cannot conquer this on my own strength. I am amazed how many people think they can handle life on their own and they cannot. No one can. I need supernatural wisdom to counter supernatural deceit. I need supernatural strength to counteract his attacks. I will rely on his word and his strength. I will talk to God regularly. I cannot start the day without involving Jesus from the beginning because I know the battle is much deeper, much greater than what I'm going to face during the day. The battle belongs to the Lord, to quote an old song, because I can't do it. And I would develop the same, these spiritual weapons if I believe this. I would associate with God's people. I'd make sure I was around other people who are spiritually strong. I'd want my church to have a healthy eldership and strong staff that are men and women of prayer. If I believe this, I'd be intimately involved with other Christians so we can go on this journey together because I know I'm going to need other people. I would want my kids to make friends with other believing kids. If I believe this, I'd be evangelistic. I'd be concerned about others and I would do all I can to bring them to Christ. When the rich man went to torment in Jesus' parable, it was too late for him. He was in Tartarus. But he begged God, prayed to God, send someone to tell my relatives, send someone to tell my family. All of a sudden, he possessed an evangelistic fervor. See, it's remarkable what step into hell can do to your priorities. If I believe this, I would do everything I can to warn others and tell them the good news. We have the good news. We have the power that's conquering evil. And I'd pray for my unsaved neighbor every day. I would do all I can to teach my children to love Jesus. I would evangelize my family. I would have a Christ-centered home. We talked about grief uh, during Sunday school hour. And one thing I've noticed in this grief process, people who are devoted to Christ and His church just handle it better. They just do. Kids cutting themselves in grief. Adults who can't get out of bed because of grief. If you don't have hope, it's hard to grieve well. If I believe this, I'd teach my children these things. If I believe this, I'd be positive about the church and joyful about Jesus. I'd talk to my kids about eternal matters, about what Jesus has done for us, and I'd talk to them about the battle that is going on, I'd tell them, you know, education is good, but it's not enough. Uh, success and money, that's okay, but that's not life. Sports, it's fine, but there's something more important. Going to Six Flags, that's okay, but there's more to life than fun. If I really believe this, I would not allow any kind of demonic entertainment into our homes and minds. So, so just go home, write on a piece of paper, if I believe this, dot, 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 I would, what? Hebrews 2.3 asks us a question. How should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
If we believe these things, how can we neglect this free gift he has offered? It's a rhetorical question. We already know the answer. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We won't. Some people don't believe this. Some will say they believe but really don't. But if you do, how can you neglect it? So we're going to give him an invitation this morning. It's kind of a multifaceted invitation. First of all, to come for the Lord's Supper, for come for communion. Recognizing Jesus has the conquering power over all these other powers. And uh, we also want to have an opportunity to pray. Uh, I'll be down here and a couple of prayer counselors. They'll have a yellow lanyard around their neck. If you want to pray with them about anything, you may do that. Come and partake communion and, and have a prayer with them. Or maybe uh, you're ready to give your life to Christ in baptism. And say, I, I've been thinking about this and the time to act is now. Or maybe even just church membership. I'm going to commit my body my life to the body of believers and for Christ for this family. So it's a multifaceted. But we're going to pray. I'm going to have you stand, and the praise team will be leading a song or singing a song and just come forward for communion. And if you'd like to have prayer, when you're done, just go back to your seat. Would you stand with me as we pray? <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for revealing this to us. And thank you for opening our eyes to this reality, to the real world. Where these forces of good and evil are battling. We are in a daily war. And I, I want to thank you that now we know why life is hard. We know why disasters happen, why marriages fight. And people kill and destroy and children die. But we thank you even more for the power that is in us that is greater than that is in the world. Thank you that the cross of Jesus has conquered the enemy. The victory has been won. And yes, the battle rages on, but the victory is ours, and it will be ours because of the cross. And so we come to remember and to participate in the power of that cross. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.